to quote Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Most people think that if someone's successful, they've had everything going their way. My intent this season is to get my guest leaders to share their honest experiences, not only around leadership, but also around wellness. I've spent 14 years in the corporate jungle with IT behemoths like IBM, SAP, Wipro and GBM in Dubai and the last six founding and building B2C startups. I'm Kaushik Bose and welcome to The Brain Box. 18 months ago, I recorded my sixth episode with my first guest. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome him back exactly 50 episodes later. He's Ashish Vattal, Country Director for Public Sector and EdTech at Google. He's one of the industry stalwarts who's ex-Cisco, Wipro, Sun Microsystems, HP, Fujitsu, and Tech Pacific. A very warm welcome back to the show, Ashish. Thank you, Kaushik, and uh, looking for- forward for an engaging discussion as last time. I mean, it has grown. The platform has grown. I can see lots of stuff coming on LinkedIn, so which I have been following. So great stuff, man. <laughs> Thank you. So let's start right from there, right? From the previous recording. You were my first guest on the show and I had actually thought that I'd be able to record the session with my Microsoft Teams account, but somehow just couldn't. But you were that time with Cisco and you actually recorded the whole episode on WebEx and shared it with me later. So most people would have come back and told me things like, come back to me when you really know what the hell you are doing. But you obviously didn't. And 18 months later, we've been voted ninth pan India by Spotify as well. So while obviously a very big thank you is in order, but I wanted to start this conversation around empathy. I've seen you lead with empathy on many other occasions also. So how critical is this trait when it comes to leadership? So Kaushik, this is something which uh, starts from your home. It doesn't start from your corporate life. Mm -hmm. I think the values that your probably parents and your family teaches you. It's the first trait that the family teaches you is to look at people with compassion. And I think it starts from there. And what I have realized is that unless and until you treat your subordinates or your colleagues or your peers in an organization with compassion, understand what problems they're going through. And there can be multitudes of problems that a person would be undergoing in his life. It could be professional, it could be personal, it could be family. Unless and until you have that compassion towards the team members, in my view, you cannot collaborate. And Mm -hmm. probably last time also we had this discussion where we said, how important is collaboration to make a team successful? And collaboration cannot come without empathy and without being compassionate as far as your team members are concerned. And... Mm -hmm. The second piece is, from a work culture perspective, if you create a compassionate environment, then you will get 100% productivity. In fact, people will go all out to meet stretch goals also. You don't need to tell them that, you know, now there is a stretch. They will understand that you want them to stretch, for example, in a quarter or or in a financial year or something like that. Then it is a more transparent, open kind of an environment. And with that openness uh, will come trust at the end of it from the team members. And with that trust, work can happen very, very smoothly. That's the view that I have. At the beginning, we will need empathy and compassion. Without that, you can't create all the other things that I was just talking. 
True. So I've had the privilege of hosting some great leaders on the show. Most of them asked me at least what the questions would be like. But what surprised me was that you never ever asked me for the questions, even on the very first episode where you didn't have a clue as to what I'm going to be asking. This pretty much made it apparent to me that whatever you say is from the heart and genuine. In fact, I'm still in touch with many of the folks that you led in Wipro with whom I'd also worked. And one thing that comes out each and every time is that they trust you implicitly. So coming back to your point on trust, how important is trust when it comes to delivering with high-performing teams? So if you don't have trust, then you know you are creating a toxic culture in the organization or in your team. Because when I, for example, work with a team, and honestly, if you look at the last 25 years, we have always delivered very high performance in whatever we do. And the reason for that is has always been team. It has never been that we created some fantastic strategy and it's always been how well we execute small things, basic things in sales or basic things in product management or brand management, brand building. Those things can only happen if the team trusts you and in turn, you have an implicit trust on the team. Without having trust amongst yourselves, you'll always have this subconscious mind that whether he's doing the right thing, whether whatever I told the team, whether they are delivering in the right way, in the right fashion. So without trust, I don't think you can ever build a team. There is no way that a team can be high performance or deliver high performing results without they trusting you blindly and you trusting them blindly. In senior leadership roles, you've been handling it for a while now. How do you get the teams to collaborate effectively within them? So for instance, I love to win. So the DNA that I would have in my team would be purely performance-centric kind of a results. But let's say my peer does not share that kind of mentality. So how do you balance between the two teams so that you can get the best out of each of them? If I have to look at high-performing teams, I think two, three things are there. One, you have five fingers in your hand. Every finger does its own job and they're not of same size. They're not of same strength. But still, you get the job done. So effectively, in a team also, you will have different rights in each member of the team. As a leader, first and foremost, you have to be clear in terms of what's the strength that each member of the team is bringing on table. Mm -hmm. If you can understand some of the triads and strengths and weaknesses of each and every individual of your team, then it becomes easy to give the right kind of job to each member. So that is one. The second piece is open and transparent and honest communication. So Every time when you go into a new financial year, for example, or a new team, you will try to create a, a strategy. How do we execute? You will try to create an aspirational goal for the team. If these things are clear to the team, that you have created a vision for the team, you've created a clear direction in which the team has to go, you've created an end goal, that this is where we want to reach some of the effective work culture and this is that you want to preach. And finally, if you feel that there is a team first mentality, that if the team succeeds, then you create visibility for the team. You give them all the kudos and there are failures also. It's not that there won't be any failures in the journey. There'll be failures. If you stand in front, then the failure happens and ensure that the team is protected. Trust will automatically build. Mutual respect will automatically build and the team will not feel let down they will go that extra mile to create that shared sense of togetherness and purpose. That's something which comes from a closely knit family kind of a culture that you build in a team. 
so that there is no ambiguity, there are no mistrusts and people have mutual respect and people do not backbite or fight with each other on the ground, which will create problems as far as performance goes in the mm -hmm. team. So clear communication, transparency, honesty, clear sense of purpose, creating aspiration, creating an end goal. There are many aspects which you need to take care. And finally, you also need to create diversity in the team. And diversity doesn't mean only the male and female ratio, but diversity also means diversity of experience. Mm -hmm. So if if you have a 20-year experienced guy, you also need to have a four or five-year experienced guy or maybe a fresher in the team. You look at the startup culture that has evolved in the last four to five years in India mm -hmm. and look at the average age of all these founders. I don't mm -hmm. think you will find people more than 13, at least 80 to 90% of these organizations. And there are many organizations that are doing phenomenally well and solving regular customer requirements and problems and use cases on the ground. That has happened primarily because they are bringing fresh ideas. Mm -hmm. Effectively, when you are building a team, then you need to have different team members having different ideas coming from different directions to ensure that you become a high-performing team. Very interesting point. Let's say now specifically in a team, what level of individualism would you want to maintain within the team? So would you prefer that there is a certain level of competition within them to bring out their best? Or would you just have them cooperate and it's okay, even if it means compromising on the results a little bit? No, I think, see, from a, a perspective of having a team which is, which is not competing with each other, I don't think that is the right approach. I think there should be healthy competition between people and that is up to the leader to build that healthy competition. It cannot happen that uh, you compromise on the strengths of an individual, for example, just because there are a few individuals who are a little bit of laggards in the team, because then the entire color of the team gets blurred. In my view, I think from a cooperation kind of environment creation, it is up to the leader. When you are creating that trust and you are also creating mutual respect in the team and you're creating an end goal, for example, this is my end goal. Now, there will be some people who will reach the goal earliest. There'll be some people who will slowly and steadily reach the goal and there'll be a, a person who can be a laggard. So as a leader, you need to probably what is the best suited role for each and every individual and be dynamic in the approach. You can't be static that you decided that these are the five things that the guys on the ground should do and then leave that. I mean, you have to be prompt, you have to be dynamic. So those are things which can help you bridge these issues, which can come. I mean, there's no doubt that sometimes you may not get the right set of people. So it shouldn't affect one, the morale of the team. Second, it shouldn't color the team in that fashion. So mm -hmm. uh, I think if your ears are on the ground and you are a person who touches every individual in the team frequently, then you will come to know much faster than people who generally are a little more hierarchical in their approach. If you have those things going on, uh, I feel you will come to know about uh, these things earlier and then you can take corrective action rather than waiting for uh, disaster to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Because as Gary keeps saying, you hire fast, fire faster and promote fastest. Oh, absolutely. So another very interesting thing is that surveys regularly show that high performing teams actually make more mistakes. You also touched on this point around failures. It is something that will happen. But the main difference that comes out is that they talk more openly about it. How do you drive this personality within the team? So Kaushik, failure is going to happen. <laughs> no matter what. We are not, I mean, if there is no failure, then we are God. So there, there would be failures and a lot will depend on you will manage failures and what is that learning that you will have 
due to failures. So from failure perspective, you should not get bogged down. You should try to see what went wrong uh, mm. in the approach. It, there would be an issue in the way you strategized, in the way you executed. That is why a failure would have happened. Failure doesn't happen on its own. So there would be some areas of improvement. And as a leader, you need to identify those and don't, don't repeat those mistakes. There could be mm. some new mistake that you should do, but don't repeat those mistakes. And mm. that is the best triad of a high-performing individual or a team. If you start repeating those mistakes, then it's a problem. Then it's a definite problem. So, in fact, my view always has been and in this journey in IT industry where you could win some opportunities, you could lose some opportunities. My sense to the team always has been that uh, we may win or lose this opportunity, but mm. we should win the customer. Right. And if you win the customer, customer will come back to you. Maybe there'll be a second chance a couple of years down the line. And if you lose the customer, then there would be no chance. So you have to be pragmatic, practical about mm -hmm. failures. Uh, you have to learn from failures. You don't have to repeat mistakes which happen during a failure. And then move on. I mean, you, you shouldn't cling on a failure that you know, this happened to me and I'll get depressed and so on and so forth. These things can happen and just move on and move to the next chapter of your life and move to the next opportunity, next customer. Don't repeat the failure and then success is around the corner. Great. I also know that you're very disciplined, which obviously makes a lot of difference when it comes to leadership. So would you prefer that everyone comes to office, brainstorms and get things done collectively? Or would you rather just let people work from wherever they feel comfortable and probably hybrid kind of an environment? For me, I generally prefer to go to office. But I think in the last three years, what COVID made us learn is that things can happen in hybrid mode as well. I don't mind people not coming to the office, but I think when you are in physical discussion or a physical contact with, with one of your team members, then probably there are more ideas that come out uh, rather than doing it on, for example, a, a Google Meet or a video conference kind of a thing. Because mm -hmm. in such environments, there is a specific agenda and you follow that agenda. Mm -hmm. If you want to be innovative, then the brainstorming should happen in a way that it is free-flowing. Right. Uh, so that can only happen when you are having a cup of tea or a coffee with True. your team members. But I think from a work perspective, productivity has not suffered when we have worked in a hybrid mode. In fact, we did the biggest financial year when COVID happened. So there are different different things that contribute to success from that perspective. But I firmly believe that once in a while, people should brainstorm, sit across the table, create more ideas, be innovative. So that happens when you are across the table rather than uh, on a video conference. True. So you were also into sports while growing up. Previous time you had mentioned that you were an avid footballer. And in fact, you've also been a record holder for the 200 and 400 meters. So while football is obviously a team sport, but even in athletics, like you probably have a lot of people within the school or inter-school events also watching you. So winning or losing probably becomes something that you get comfortable with. So do you feel that sports actually makes you a better leader? Oh, most definitely. Oh, most definitely. Sports teaches you character. Sports teaches you integrity. Hmm. Sports teaches you honesty. And sports teaches also how to handle a failure. Hmm. I mean, while you may win one tournament, there'll be another match that you may lose. 
So sports teaches you mental toughness. So sports builds character of an individual. And it could be any sport. It's not necessary that you go after cricket, football. It could be any sport. But teamwork, collaboration, transparency, honesty, integrity. These are jargons that we use in corporate life. But you live these jargons in sports. I'm a firm believer that fit mind and fit body is something that goes in how you deliver as an individual professional. So most definitely. Yes. I believe the Kashmiri word for wellness is Urzav. Am I right? Urzav. Urzav. Okay. So how critical is mental wellness and work-life balance, especially in becoming a successful leader? Oh, oh, oh most, most definitely, yes. And I think off late, it is more so primarily because whatever has happened in the last three years, there's been a lot of pressure on performance and obviously what is happening in, for example, globally on economy, it creates that pressure that whether you'll have those jobs uh, and, you know, even as team leaders, if there are, for example, people who get impacted in line, how do you communicate to those people and how tough mentally those guys are? So, so those are questions that come very naturally. I think mental wellness is the most important critical element for any team member of yours if you want them to become high performing team mm -hmm. at the end of the day so my belief is that whether you have naturally mentally tough or you create some psychological advantage over a period of time through whatever you have learned for example with your experience and with whatever you have gone through in life is something which goes a long way in making you successful and performance oriented. Now, from that perspective, I think fitness, whether you are, for example, going for a jog or playing some, will keep your mind also fit. So I think what we need is probably create that environment where you should always be out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You should probably look at creating a routine. Little bit of discipline definitely helps that you wake up at this time, probably do a jog or, a, or walk in the morning and then probably spend five, seven minutes of what you want to do from an agenda perspective during the day and then not necessarily follow it to the dot, but at least if 70-80% is followed, then you feel accomplished at the end of the day mentally that you went out and there was purpose in the day and you were successful in meeting the purpose of the day, which slowly and steadily will make you tough that i created a uh, action routine for me during the day i made it happen with that there is happiness also if there is no action routine then as an individual you lose purpose i mean you can wander here and there but at the end of the day if you have a, a proper disciplined routine and what are the actionables and what is the end goal that you are wanting to achieve then mentally you feel satisfied and mentally you feel that next day, again, wake up at the time and create another routine and follow that routine. So I think there is definite merit in having discipline to create that mental toughness and mental wellness. Work-life balance is very, very critical. Spend time with family. Mm. Take proper holidays. I mean, work and then go enjoy your time. It's been a ritual for me for the last 15 years. 10, 15 days during December and maybe in May. Seven ten days just taken off and obviously with all the mobile phones that are there you're not off totally but i can just have leisure time with you and your family these are memories that you take forward so i think those things are very critical in current scenario because it's become very unpredictable i mean something happens somewhere else and you get impacted so those are things which can create depression in your minds but if you're mentally tough then you can sort of uh, go through these tough times as well
Absolutely amazing. Exactly the point, right? So things change. So when it comes to tech as well, a lot has changed. Earlier during my time, it used to be around enterprise level agreements on-premise. Then it moved to a SaaS model. And now we are entering into a radical phase of AI. And obviously Google and Microsoft are the front runners. So where do you see the current trend going? Oh, it's amazing, actually. I mean, we used to, this is 1985, and we used to sit in a Tonga in Kashmir. <laughs> and now we are in supersonic age. Never would have imagined that in 30 years, we would have seen an environment where we could not get a phone in Kashmir for six years after submitting the application. And today, your children are more faster on mobile phones than you are. But I think AI will transform lives. Because I, I was just telling you before this conversation mm -hmm. that the kind of work that we are doing, touching human lives, we are looking at, for example, health and education and agriculture, changing the landscape of transportation, for example. So there are these use cases which are very critical from a customer perspective or a citizen perspective. How do we change lives? How do we impact lives in a positive way through the intervention of technology is what is being done right now. Look at all these startups. Today, a startup is delivering goods in 10 minutes. <laughs> I would not have imagined that will ever happen. So that is impacting life. There are ISVs or solution providers or startups doing excellent work in education, digitizing education or digitizing health. These are very powerful tools. Now, the good part, and I personally feel India is in that corner right now. If you look at data, India has generated the largest chunk of data can be used for analytics and AI steps in there because for AI also you need data and the best part about India in the last probably 7-10 years has been we have generated lots of data. Now with AI intervention we can make some sense to that data and use it for the benefit of the citizens on the ground. I think the next 10 to probably 15 years are going to be transformational in the way we approach the entire environment. And with AI, look at what is happening. Voice bots, chat bots, conversational AI, uh, generative AI. There are many variants that are coming up. Again, solving use cases which are very impactful from a citizen perspective uh, at scale. Because otherwise you could not have done it at scale. The problem in India probably globally was that while there were solution areas that people solved probably 10 years back, but it reached only the urban areas or tier one cities, there was connectivity. Now that problem is solved. You are connected even in rural areas and with all the approach with multilingual chatbots and video bots that are coming our way, even a local, in, which is the last denominator in the rural area, can access some of these apps and make his life simpler understand mm -hmm. what schemes are there for him and for his family and from all these state governments and central government and these private institutions, which will help him improve his standard of living at the end. Mm -hmm. And with all the social media coming in, people have become more aware socially. People have become more aware of their environment. And AI will, in my view, be transformational in that journey. Uh, three, four years later, you will see that entire country is hooked onto these AI models, giving them outputs and delivering real-time information, which was not possible earlier without AI. People are doing some exceptional work mm -hmm. from health to mind to some of the services that people are getting using AI. And mm -hmm. with so much skilled manpower in India, we could become the AI sort of country across the globe, is my belief. 
Excellent. So there's a favorite question of mine that I usually ask my guests, which I didn't have during our first interview. So I'll go ahead and ask it. So mm. if you had to go back in time and give mm. the 20-year-old Ashish one piece of advice, what would that be? I think patience would be one, which is very difficult for me because I always had this very curious impatience. It has helped also because with that impatience, you don't get into a comfort zone. You try to explore new things, but a little more patience would have probably not from a success perspective, but as an individual, I thought about success wow. in any case you yeah. will get, but I think a little more patience would have helped. I think you are one of the very patient people I've seen. So now I'm beginning to wonder what will happen to me. <laughs> this is called as internal impatience, not, not an external impatience. Ah, you true. generally that's... are split personality. What happens outside doesn't mean that. Yeah, yeah. So generally I'm patient, but I think a little more patience would have made more sense from a perspective of what's happening on the ground. I would have learned a little more earlier. It took me a little more time to understand people judge people, all that kind of stuff. Great. So thanks so much, Ashish, for the encore. And obviously on a personal note, thanks for having been a great mentor. And I doubt Brainbox would have reached where it is today if you hadn't so graciously offered to be the first guest. So thanks no. again for everything. Thank you, Kaushik. And for the next season, wishing you all the best. It's all your hard work, man. I mean, I just became a vehicle in the journey and process. So uh, what you have achieved in the last 18 months is amazing. So many great leaders talking about uh, leadership and very different rights of corporate life, which most definitely will help the next generation. That is what I feel. You're doing amazing work. And this is all digital. So the recordings are there. People can uh, listen to them at leisure. Thank you very much for calling me again. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Ashish. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you wish to collaborate, you can reach out to me on linkedin.com slash in slash kaushik hyphen boost.